Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. This is chilling. Truth. And that's what I decided I'm going to murder my mother. And I didn't feel that I had to face what I had done ever. He killed 33 times. I'm the king, man. I decide who does what and where they do it at. Time you see me. Well, Alright guys, so I'm trying to do the intro here. Whatever get to it. Talking about my gut. Alright, so <laughs> We're gonna get to <laughs> what you're snacking on, by the way. Yeah, we will in a second. So welcome to the Mason Jar Chronicles. I'm Corey. And we got Johnny here still. Haven't been able to get him off the show yet. Still here, man. Um, holding strong. Um, and today we're talking about something very controversial, and not only is the subject controversial, but how to pronounce it is controversial between Johnny and I. I think it's pronounced Abu Ghraib, and Johnny says it's pronounced Abu Ghraib, which literally no one ever says it that way. Look, I'm but, not saying that everybody says Ghraib. I'm just saying it sounds way more Middle Eastern. I'm saying I listen to an, a literal Iraqi person say it, and an American journalist say Abu Ghraib both times. There are American saying. journalists that mispronounce English words, man. Yeah, but you that can't count on every Iraqi to properly pronounce their language, right? That's true, but I mean, I did only watch two videos. But I think it's Abu Ghraib. But we just, you know what, you say it your way and I'll say it my way. Agree to disagree. All right, cool. Um, for anybody who doesn't know what Abu Ghraib is, it's a military prison. Well, it was a military prison located in Iraq. And uh, members of the, the United States military, our military, committed a series of human rights violations in 2003. So the prisoners were physically, sexually, and psychologically abused, tortured, raped, sodomized, and even one was murdered. Uh, Everything came to light in 2004 when CBS News reported on the incident because some leaked photos came out of the abuse. So these fucking idiots didn't only do the abuse, but they took videos and photos of it because... Why not? They're fucking sociopaths. Um... This is the time of George W. Bush. George, George W. was president, uh, so his administration claimed it was an isolated incident, uh, but other human rights organizations claimed they were not, and this type of abuse was happening in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Guantanamo Bay, and I don't need to tell anybody anything about what happened in Guantanamo Bay. Um, <laughs> the acts were condemned by U.S. government and all around the world, but some American conservatives supported the actions because they're equally piles of trash. So uh, what really led to all this is the 9-11 attacks because that forced um, – I wouldn't say forced the administration's hand because after that pretty much everybody wanted to go to war. So the 9-11 attacks led to demand for the US and the George W. administration to take action on, quote, the war on terror. Um, and all this led Dick Cheney saying the U.S. had to work sort of a, sort of on the dark side and, quote, it had to be – it had to use any means at its disposal. So Dick Cheney's a fucking asshole too, I guess, which I mean I'm no fan of terrorists, but um, the people held in Abu Ghraib weren't necessarily terrorists. They were – Well, I think the idea behind uh, Abu Ghraib – They were suspected. Was uh, Graib. Graib. <laughs> I, I think I think the idea of it kind of like you know Guantanamo Bay, like it just it it served it, the the purpose was supposed to be uh, legitimate, legal, uh, humanistic, but 
it just but always count on some a few dickheads to fuck it up for everybody. Well, it's you're in you're in a, you're in a hostile environment. There's you can only eventually. It doesn't matter how you are when you got there. That place kind of molds you. I feel and. Right, but we haven't got into what these people But it's like a prison. Prisons run themselves, you know? Like, once you're in this place, it's just completely different set of rules. This isn't equated to a prison. This is equated to a jail, which I know also kind of makes its own rules and has its own, like, regulations. But these people aren't necessarily guilty. They're kind of being held, you know... To try to get information out of them, but a jail, you know, I mean, like right, if that's, I mean, it was the same thing with the Japanese concentration concentration camps in the U.S. in the nineteen forties or whatever the fuck. Right, but, but this is like it, it started out as something stuff. good, like someone just simply just wanted to get to the bottom of something, and it just seriously got out of hand. Yeah, and this definitely got out of fucking hand. So the Iraq War began in March two thousand three as an invasion of. Johnny, you're an expert on. Um, Dude, I'm not an Middle expert Eastern, on anything, uh, bro. <laughs> Middle Eastern pronunciation of. Oh cities. right, right. What, what do you get? What do you? What do you say? This one is. Uh, ba- Baathist. Ba- Baathist or Baathist. Batista. I'm not sure if the H. Is I think silent, it's. But I don't know if you're supposed to like pause with the, with the thing. I don't know. Baathist. I don't know. Someplace in Iraq, led by. A I don't Saddam think you're Hussein. supposed to sound so much like a goat. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's probably true. Right. Anyway, if we have any people from the Middle East that are listening, which I don't think we do, um, actually no, we might. I think we have someone in Pakistan that listens. I know there's a few in India. Yeah. Well, if you, anyone out there knows how to pronounce this, please uh, hit us up on Twitter and let me know because I would. I actually tried to find out how to pronounce it. You know, how, like sometimes you can type like words in on Google and it'll just give you the first thing is like the dictionary of it, like the dictionary definition. Does it not it provide the Webster? No, it didn't on this because I guess because it's a place and not really a word. Oh. I don't know. Anyway, the place was in Iraq. It was led by Saddam Hussein, that fucker. Uh, <laughs> the government was toppled within a month. Uh, the conflict was followed by a longer phase of fighting in which insurgency emerged to propose the occupying forces and the post-invasion Iraqi government. Uh, so basically what that is saying is they came in, they fucked the government, took it out, and then all these little... I guess rebels kind of thing, insurgents popped up and were like, you know, fighting. You guys know how war works. Some guys are good guys. Some guys are bad guys. They see us as bad guys. You get it. I don't need to go through it. You get it. I don't need to hold your hand. You got it. So originally one of the most notorious prisons in Iraq under Saddam Hussein's rule uh, is Abu Ghraib. And the prison held approximately 50,000 men and women and torture and execution were routine there. It was located on 280 acres of land, about 32 kilometers from Baghdad. <clears throat> after Hussein was defeated, the prison was looted of everything that could be removed, and afterwards the U.S. refurbished it and turned it into the military prison that it was. It was the largest of several prisons in Iraq used by U.S. military, and when the, mil- the U.S. was using it, it held about 7,490 prisoners. It's a lot of people. Now, this is, what I was, this is what I was saying a minute ago. So there's three types of prisoners that were held at Abu Ghraib. One is common criminals. Two is those who were suspected of leading insurgency and then the individuals who were suspected of committing crimes against the occupational forces led by the U.S. So really, they're all just suspects. You know what I mean? Right, but you see how minorities are treated over here. There's, oh, yeah, I'm not saying that. Like, they're a, major- that they're a majority they over there. They're guilty. Right, but they're, they're a majority over there, and you still got like these rednecks over there in U.S. uniforms that are probably like, well, they're a different color, so... <laughs> Let's kill them. They've got to be suspect. Not everybody thinks yeah. that way, but 
we both served. We both grew up in the South, and we both we, we both know that rednecks exist in both environments. So it's just a very narrow way of thinking, uh, typically, as far as uh, culture, uh, skin color. It's just... So I'm not just being an asshole. It's half joke, <laughs> half true. You know? It's like, yeah, no, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, so... So shortly before the 2003 invasion of Iraq, the torture memos came to light, uh, which if you're going to name some, anything something, probably don't put torture in the name if you don't want people to think that it's all about how you should be able to torture people. Just write that on just, the front of the journal. Yeah, just not about torture. Perfect. You, you should actually just – you should write this is not the torture memo. Like explicitly state because if you put torture memos, they're gonna be like, "Fuck, it's about torturing people for sure." Yeah, but if it says this is not a torture memo, they're gonna be like, "Well, that's not it." So why, why the hell would I? Well, they're like, "I'm not even gonna read this." I'm looking for the torture memo that says it's not it. So it's definitely 100. percent Moving on. Let me open these other folders now. Um, (laughs) So the torture memos made it to where the international humanitarian laws, such as the Geneva Convention, did not apply to American interrogators overseas. I wonder why they didn't want it to apply to them. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that happened eventually because we were the only ones following the Geneva Convention. So then, you know, yeah. we just kind so of just like, oh, fuck it. like, whatever, dude, no one else following the rules. So <laughs> too wrong to make it right when you're killing people. Right, right. I mean, <laughs> say it was the best solution. <laughs> just said it was a solution. Just saying it was the mindset for a lot of people. So several U.S. Supreme Court decisions, including Hadman versus Rumsfeld in 2006, had overturned the George W. Bush administration to say that the Geneva Convention does apply. So that basically says that these people that were doing this were not uh, using these interrogation techniques. They were just being assholes and sadistic fuckheads. So many of these torture methods or, quote, advanced interrogation techniques. That sounds way better, man. Yeah, it sounds a lot better than torture, <laughs> but that's what it is. Uh, they're developed in Guantanamo Bay, which, like I said earlier, I don't need to tell you guys what goes on there, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, there are things such as prolonged isolation, which they still do in prisons now. The frequent flyer program, which is moving an inmate from cell to cell every few hours, in turn keeping them awake for weeks or even months at a time. Well, not not completely awake, but like very little sleep in between. You know what I mean? Right, right. Short shackling in uncomfortable positions, nudity, and use of extreme heat or extreme cold, and the use of loud music and preying on phobias. So pretty fucked up stuff to be doing to a prisoner. Yeah, it sounds like... Now, I mean, if they're 100% terrorists, like, they fucking are just the terrorist. I mean, rough them up a bit, that's fine, but I mean... (laughs) Torture is like, that's a lot, dude. Yeah, it's it's hard to justify the shit that humans do to each other, but this is... Very hard to justify. I mean, like, just... But I don't have the answers, so I really can't... uh, I mean, I can't weigh in on it, because I don't have a better solution, so... You know? I mean... I I feel like we do create more terrorists by letting a lot of those guys go, because, like, even if they did go in innocent, which is shitty, so it's like, I understand they shouldn't have been in there in the first place. I get it. But these guys leave pissed off. And it's like, so you're saying we're our own worst enemy? Yeah, in a, in a sense. Yeah, in a lot of ways, sense. we That's are. For sure, like, that should that should be our like country motto. Yeah, <laughs> our own worst enemy. <laughs> we wouldn't even fuck with us. <laughs> we 
wouldn't even <laughs> fuck with us. They should just put something like that on the bottom of Lady Liberty. <laughs> we wouldn't even fuck with us. <laughs> just chiseled into that book she's holding. Or whatever the fuck she's holding, I don't know. Um... Although most of the inmates slept in tents in the yard, the majority of the abuse happened in cell blocks 1A and 1B. The 800th Military military Police Brigade from Uniondale, New York, were responsible for running the prison, and individuals who committed the abuse were part of the 372nd MP Brigade, which was a constituent of the 320th MP Brigade. I don't expect anybody to follow that, because I was, in the, I was an MP, and I can't even follow that shit, so. Well, you know, 372nd. I mean, they're, they're a constituent of three twentieth and eight hundredth I mean, was over. Uh, yeah, well, every uh, what every brigade is. I mean, every time a, a new brigade is established, they just number it. So it doesn't. Yeah, have, I mean, I get the numbers. Doesn't really have to mean I understand the numbers. Okay. <laughs> I, just, I get that there's numbers. <laughs> okay. Three twentieth came before three seventy second. Yeah, I get them. <laughs> they could have called for the newsboys and the fucking giddy cutties. Who cares? Yeah, Look. it wouldn't make a difference. Yeah. Um. So, respected journalist and Pulitzer Prize winner Seymour Hersh, who had seen a lot of the photos and videos the government didn't release, discussed what he had seen in 2014. He was clearly shocked and uncomfortable. He said, Debating about releasing the unseen video and, video, uh, video and photos, some of the worst things that happened you don't even know about, okay? Videos, um... There are women there, some you may uh, have read, uh, that they were passing letters out, communications to their men. Uh, this is Abu Ghraib. <laughs> the women passing out the letters were saying, please come and kill me because of what happened. And basically what happened is that those women who were arrested with young boys, children, and cases that had been recorded. The boys were sodomized with the cameras rolling and the worst above all, uh, that is the soundtrack of the boys shrieking, that your government has. They are total, ter- they are total terror. It's going to come out. And this was a direct quote from uh, Seymour Hersh. Yeah, he's a very respected journalist. Right. The original whistleblower was Joe Darby. Joe Darby was a reserve soldier with the U.S. forces at Abu Ghraib prison when he stumbled up uh, upon images that would stun the world in 2014. Uh, The photos were of his colleagues torturing Iraqi prisoners. He had been in Iraq for seven months before he was first handed the photos on a CD. By yeah, none, different time. <laughs> by none other than Charles Grainer. Now we he say says, that because Charles Grainer was like the most sadistic one of all of them. Like he was the like top fucking asshole right. out of everybody. So he says to this day that he does not regret turning the photos in. I mean, who Which, would? But at the same time, it's like... Yeah, I don't... I mean, I... I think I'd be doing the right thing if I was... You gotta be I'm pretty gonna, brave, I'm, though, to do I'm, that. Right, but I'm not gonna pull up a turno, bro. No. Like, I mean, I'm not gonna know, just, like, roll over and die and, like, let all that shit go happen. I mean, it's... A lot of it's about covering my own ass, but it's it's more than... It's doing the right thing. It's yeah, exactly. beyond me. So... Of course, I've never been in a situation, so... Who the fuck am I? Yeah, you don't really know exactly what you would do. You just hope that you would do the right thing. Right. Uh, a 53-page report written by Major General Antonio M. Taguba stated some terrible things done to the prisoners. They would break chemical lights and pour the uh, phosphoric liquid onto the detainees' genitals. Pouring cold water onto them. First of all, yeah. it's So pouring cold water onto them, beating them with a broomstick and a chair, 
threatening male detainees with rape, allowing military police to stitch up a detainee who was injured after being slammed into a wall in its cell, sodomizing inmates with chemical lights uh, and possibly a broomstick, which... Fuck, dude. Just fuck. And uh, using military working dogs to frighten detainees with a threat of attack or even one instance of an actual bite. So I mean, a lot of psychological warfare as much as, much as uh, physical sexual yeah. abuse going on. It's a lot, dude. I mean, these Fucking guys endured a lot of shit. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, there's an interview I was watching earlier about one of the guys that was a prisoner. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was the guy... If you look up Abu Ghraib, it's, like, one of the main pictures. He's standing on a box of MREs, and he has a hood on, and he has, like, a blanket over his shoulders where he kind of is, like... He looks like a scarecrow, almost, and he has, like, all these wires connected to his fingers, and I can't remember what his name is, but it was, like, an interview with him, and it's just, like, fucking... The fear. Like, you can see the fear in his face when he's talking about it. He's, like... It's just such a crazy thing to have endured. Right. So, the 2004 airing of 60 Minutes showed some of the photos um, showing soldiers taunting naked Iraqi prisoners and forcing them to assume humiliating positions. There were six subjects, Staff Sergeant Ivan L. Frederick II, known as Chip, who was a senior enlisted man, Specialist Charles A. Grainer, who was the most sadistic of all the guards, Sergeant Javal Davis, Specialist Megan Ambul, Specialist Sabrina Harmon, and Private Jeremy Sivitz, and Private Lindy... England was reassigned to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, when she found out she was pregnant. And she was in on a lot of it. I mean, she's in, like, if you look at the pictures, she's in, like, a ton of the fucking pictures. And then she just got reassigned. Well, that happened in a lot of instances. Yeah, I mean, she just, like, wasn't really held accountable at the time. She probably thought she fucking got away with it. She did. So, right now I'm going to describe one of the photos that, uh has Private England in it. So in one of the photos, Private England can be seen, a cigarette dangling from her mouth, giving a thumbs up and pointing at the genitals of an Iraqi prisoner who is naked except for a sandbag on his head as he masturbates. Three other hooded Iraqi prisoners are shown with their hands reflexively over their genitals. Um, Now, on whether or not forced nudity is torture or not, quote, such dehumanization in any culture, but especially so in the Arab world, Homosexual acts are against Islamic law, and it is humiliating for men to be naked in front of other men, Bernard Haeckel stated. Now, Bernard Haeckel is a professor, a professor of Middle Eastern Studies at NYU. He also said, quote, being on top of one another and forced to masturbate, being naked in front of each other is all a form of torture. Um, I mean, that just... You don't want to be naked in front of a whole bunch of people. Whether you're comfortable with your body or not, That's you just it's, it's a form of psychological torture. Right. 100%. I wouldn't, I never would have questioned it being like that. And the masturbating thing, I mean, that's just a whole new level of like just torture. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. That's the only word that describes it. I feel like it's not interrogation anymore. It might sound crazy, but it sounds like I feel like there'd be more than one victim in this situation. Not only, you know, obviously the more obvious one would be the prisoner. But, you know, on a, maybe on a different scale, but in relation to, like, law enforcement, where you have corrupt departments or more bad cops than good cops, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like peer pressure uh, plays a huge factor. I mean, it doesn't matter how positive or how 
against the grain and, and wanting to do the right thing kind of guy. So you're saying you are. some of the soldiers could have been victims of being almost forced to do this themselves. Right. I mean, I wouldn't say that 100% of these soldiers enjoyed doing what they were doing. It's just that they felt like uh, they would have been outed by their men who they knew were capable of doing such fucked up things to another human being. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, maybe a lot of them thought it'd be smarter just to keep their mouth shut and just do what they were told. And, you know, it is what it is, uh, which is probably the reason a lot of these guys come back psychologically fucked up, you know? Very much so. So, because you know, it's not to not only is it something that no one should ever have to deal with, but they're not provided the resources to cope with it when they come back. No, I totally Unless agree. They I mean, it all. So yeah, and that's what we're that's what's coming in this next part here is Specialist Matthew Wisdom um, was the first perpetrator to leave Abu Ghraib and immediately volunteered to testify, and he recounted his later experience. Staff, or Sergeant First Class Snyder grabbed my prisoner and threw him into a pile. I do not think it was right to put them in a pile. I saw Staff Sergeant Frederick, Sergeant Davis, and Corporal Grainer walking around the pile hitting the prisoners. I remember Staff Sergeant Frederick hitting one of the prisoners in the side of its ribcage. I don't know why he says it's. That's weird. Uh, well, the prisoner was no danger to Staff Sergeant Frederick. I left after that. I saw two naked detainees, one masturbating to another, kneeling with his mouth open. I thought I should just get out of there. I didn't think it was right. I saw Staff Sergeant Frederick walking towards me, and he said, Look what these animals do when you leave them alone for two seconds. I heard PFC England shout out, He's getting hard. So this guy obviously was not on board with it. He was about as against it. Well, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, like I said, you don't really know what you would do in that situation because you're not in that situation, you know? I think if you want, if you feel like you need to survive, and, and in order to do so, you need to jump on board. I think because I mean, you see what these people are capable of. I mean, I'm a strong individual, strong-minded. Uh, so I mean, and I still don't know. It's like, bro, like, it's like this place is fucked up, dude. Yeah, like, yeah, you got to figure out how to survive in a fucked up place. It is, these yeah. Guys, yeah, I mean, they they had to make a decision, right or wrong. Uh, and live with it either way. Yeah. Because, I mean, the military, you can't just be like, you know what, I quit. I'm getting out of here. Like, you're assigned Absolutely to that place. Like, you're there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nice try. You know how many times I tried to put in my two weeks' notice? Yeah. You just wouldn't, we wouldn't really have a military if people were able to quit whenever they wanted to. <laughs> Shit. No. But uh, Staff Sergeant Frederick said, Staff Sergeant Frederick said, I questioned some of the things I saw, such as leaving inmates in their cell with no clothes on and female underpants, handcuffed them, handcuffing them to the door of their cell, and the answer I got was, this is how military intelligence wants it done. MI has also instructed us to place a prisoner in an isolated cell with little or no clothes, no toilet or running water, no ventilation or window for as much as three days. So this dude was told that, yeah, it's fine. That's what they said. And he's like, nope, okay, I'm on board. I'll beat the shit out of this guy, too. Yep, it says, you know, I was told. That's a weak-minded individual. Well, you know. Uh, I mean, I get, like, someone saying, like, oh, they said we need to do this. All right, cool. They said we need to fucking sweep. Yeah, cool, I'll do that. They said we need to torture this person. I'm going to have some fucking questions for somebody. Right. Military or not, you still have to maintain your, you know, dignity. You still got to live with yourself when you get out of the military. Yeah. Well, speaking of dignity, I mean, these de- these uh, detainees were forced uh, to masturbate. He said the pile into the pyramid of the naked bodies uh, 
they would pile into huge pyramids of naked bodies, uh, and then they'd be photographed by the guards. These are the uh, infamous photos that are there's it's so easy to find. It's like the first one of the first pictures that comes up when you Google right, it. Right, right. Uh Mr. Mutar and a Syrian detainee testified in tape depositions. Depositions, Jesus there Christ. There you go. <laughs> depositions, here is the prosecution wrapped up. Uh its case against Specialist Grainer, the first contested court martial to come from the abuse scandal. Photographs uh the detainees described set off international outrage against the American military and led to abuse investigations at other American detention centers for obvious reasons, for good yeah, reason. Definitely. I for feel good like, reason. Uh, I feel like, uh, leave no stone unturned at this point. Right. I mean, it should be a white ass investigation for sure. Mm-hmm. But, definitely. uh, yeah. So, uh, is this, uh, was this a greater quote? He, uh, no, this is this is Mr. Mutar's testifi- uh, testimony. Oh, okay, so all right, so he hit me on my face and on my knees, and all I could hear was the screaming of the people around me and myself screaming. Uh, Mr. Mutar testified, "I wish that I would uh, I would kill myself because no one over there was stopping what was going on." So I mean, yeah, it's uh, between. It's got to be pretty fucking bad for you to be like, "I want to kill myself so that I don't have to deal with this torture anymore." Well, yeah. I mean, I would imagine that you would reach a certain point where you just want to die. Exactly. Like the I women. Mean, go, that I mean, were saying, come here to, and kill me. Right, but it, it goes back to the the women that we've talked about in the past with, uh, you know, like Ed Kemper, you know, these, or uh, Ariel Castro. You know, these women reach a breaking point just like anyone else where, yeah, you I know, mean, you, death you're, seems you're, easier. Yeah, you're being tortured and kept in a basement for 11 years. You probably suicide probably crosses your mind at some point. I would imagine. So, yeah. but those girls yeah. are a lot stronger than we than people give them credit for. So, they made it through it. Yeah, I think the problem is is they don't receive any credit, good or bad. Like people have right. kind of forgotten. Well, about I mean, a couple it. of them got book deals and stuff like that, but right. So, like I said in the beginning, there was one murder. Um, and that was Al-Jamadi's death. So the cause of detaining Al-Jamadi's death was not generally known until February 17, 2005, when it was revealed that, revealed that he had died after a fruitless half-hour interrogation, during which, contrary to official guidelines, he was suspended from a bar a barred window by his wrist, which were bound behind his back. News reports called Al-Jamadi's treatment Palestinian hanging torture. So by extending the arms like that, the prisoner very, very, very slowly asphyxiates. So chokes to death, pretty much. They have no oxygen going to their brain. Um, Associated Associated Press correspondent Seth Hatina, all of these names are so hard to say, even this guy, Seth Hatina, reported that 30 minutes after beginning his questioning of the prisoner, the CIA interrogator called for the guards to reposition Al Jamandi. Uh, who was, he believed was, quote, playing possum as he slouched with his arms stretched out behind him. Um, so at first, I guess they thought he was faking his death, which, I mean, obviously he wasn't. Uh, Captain Donald Reese, company commander of the 372nd Military Police Company, gave testimony about Al-Jamadi's death, saying that he saw the dead prisoner. I was told that he was brought in and he was combative, that they took him up to the room, and during the interrogation, he passed, quote, or passed the body. Uh, was bleeding from the head, nose, mouth. Reese stated that the corpse was locked in a shower room overnight and the next day was fitted with an uh, 
Entrafius, Entravenus drip in order to make it look like he had died later than he actually did. He said that this was an attempt to hide what occurred from other inmates. Reese said the body was then autopsied, establishing the cause of death as a blood clot from trauma. Blood was thoroughly washed off the walls and floor of the cell. Official investigations ruled Al-Jamandi's death a homicide. Investigators concluded that while in CAA custody, the prisoner was hung on a wall before he succumbed to asphyxiation and blunt force injuries. The CIA's inspector general referred to the case to the Justice Department shortly after it happened for possible prosecution. But guess what happened? Fuck all happened. No action was taken on it. They didn't do right. anything. This dude literally died, and whoever killed him got away with it. It's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous, is what it is. It's not even like I can't even come up with like a funny thing to say about it because it's just so fucked up. Um. So Nadia is this next girl's name, and this is her testimony about what happened to her. Um, so, Nadia, the name given by a freed Iraqi female prisoner to Al-Wasat, a weekly supplement of the respectable London-based Al-Hayat newspaper, felt it incumbent upon herself to speak out and expose the less-talked-about abuse of female prisoners in uh, the U.S. detention camps across Iraq. So her visit – she went to go visit a relative and ended up uh, in detention by American troops who stormed in her home under the preferable excuse of, quote, searching for weapons, which is always a good reason to kick somebody's door down overseas. Right. Uh, and this is her quoting right here. I tried in vain to convince the impeded in interpreter I was a guest, but I lost consciousness to find myself later in a dingy dark cell all by myself. With tears rolling down her cheeks, she told the paper how she was stripped by, by her, quote, liberators of the most precious thing an Arab and Muslim women can have, her virginity. A thrill of fear ran through me when I saw U.S. soldiers laughing hysterically with a female soldier telling me mockingly in an Arabic accent I've never heard about a female arms dealer in Iraq, Nadia said. As I tried hard to explain to her I was wrongly rounded up, the female soldier started accosting, accosting and kicking me with my cries and pleads falling on deaf ears. She went on. She gave me a cup of water, and no sooner had I started sipping it, I went into a deep trance to find myself later naked and raped. Only then Nadia realized that hard times and an uncertain fate were lying ahead, and days proved her right. The other, the other day, five soldiers fondled and raped her one after another in a distasteful sex orgy on the tunes of culturally offensive heavy metal music. One month later, a soldier showed up and told me in a broken Arabic, in broken Arabic to take a shower, and before finishing my bath, he kicked the door open. I slapped him, but he raped me like animals and called two of his colleagues who forced me to have sex with him up to ten times, added Nadia. Four months later, the female soldier came along with four male soldiers with a digital camera. <coughs> she stripped me naked and started fondling me as if she was a man, while her male colleagues broke into laughter and started taking photos. Reluctant as I was, she fired four shots close to my head and threatened to kill me if I resist. Then four soldiers raped me sadistically and I lost conscious. consciousness. Later, she forced me to watch a clip of my raping, saying bluntly, you were born to give us pleasure. Nadia was, held, set, was set free from the U.S. hell in Abu Ghraib after, speak, after spending up to six months there. The American soldiers dumped her along the highway of Abu Ghraib and gave her a meager of 10,000 dinars to, quote, start a new life. 
Too ashamed to too ashamed to return home, she now works as a housemaid in an Iraqi family. I don't know what ten thousand dinars goes to American, but let me see. It can't be much if it's coming from eight dollars and thirty five cents. How much? Eight dollars and thirty five cents American. Holy shit. Can you imagine all that happening and then some minimum wage, man? Eight dollars. Minimum wage down here in the south. That's one hour's work. Fuck, bro. Yeah, hers is it's uh pretty fucked up. Yeah. To say the least. This next one is from uh, Amin Saeed Al Sheikh, I believe is. That's pretty good. I think that was pretty good. Uh, Yeah. So. Uh, and it reads, I, I mean, Saeed al-Sheikh want to make the following statement under oath. I am Amin al-Sheikh. I was arrested on the 7th of October of 2003. They brought, uh, brought me over to Abu Ghraib and put me in, in a tent for one night. During this night, the guards threatened me with punishment and tortures even one or two hours or every one or two hours. The second day, he transferred me to the hard site, which is a cement prison part of Abu Ghraib, not made of tents. So, uh, not made of tents. Before I got in a soldier, but before I got in a soldier, put, gosh, be a fucking comma there. Before I got in, comma, a soldier put a sandbag over my head. I didn't see anything after that. They took me inside the building and started to scream at me. They stripped me naked and asked me, do you pray to Allah? I said, yes. They said, well, fuck you and fuck him. Another one said, you are not getting out of here until I break uh, some of your bones. They will have to wheel you out like a crippled. And then he said to me, are you married? And I said, yes. They asked, if your wife saw you like this, wouldn't she be disappointed? Another one said, if I saw her now, she would be disappointed because I'd be raping her. Then one of them took me to the shower, removed the sandbag, and I saw him. A black man. He told me to take a shower so that he could come in and rape me, uh, and I was very scared. They put the sandbag uh, over my head and took me to cell number five. The next five nights, I didn't sleep because they used to come to my cell, asking me to stand up for hours and hours. They also slammed the door, uh, which is a loud, scary noise inside the cell. The, the same soldier took me into the showers and stood me there staring at, me, uh, staring at my body. He said, uh, threatened, he, he threatened he would rape me again the first day of Ramadan. The incident of firing happened. I got shot with several bullets in my body and got transferred to the hospital. There, the interrogator, Steve, came to me. I told him I was sorry about what had happened. Uh, he said, don't be sorry now. You'll be really sorry later. After several days, he came back and said to me, if I put you under torture, do you think this would be fair? I said to him, why? He said he needed more information from me. I told him I already told everything I know. He just said, we'll see when you come back to the prison. After 17 or 18 days, I was released back to Abu Ghraib. Steve took me somewhere and placed a pistol to my head. He said, I wish I could kill you right now. I spend the night at this place, 
And the next morning they took me to the hard side. They received me there uh, with screaming, shoving, pushing, and yelling. I was in very bad shape. They gave me no blankets, no clothes, no crutches. They threatened every day to kill me. On the third day, after five or six o'clock, Mr. Grainer came in and took me to room number 37, which is the shower room, and he started punishing me. When he was done with that, he brought a box of food and made me stand on it while I was nothing, uh, while I wore nothing but a blanket. This is the photo I was talking about earlier. Then a tall black soldier came and put electrical wires on my fingers, my toes, and on my penis. I had a bag over my head. Then he was saying, which switch is on for electricity? He then came out with a loudspeaker and he was shouting near my ear. Then he brought out the camera and he took some pictures of me. I could tell by flash of the camera. He then took the hood off and he began to describe what poses he wanted me to do. I was tired and eventually I fell down. Then Mr. Grainer came uh, and made me stand on the stairs while carrying a box of food. I was so tired that I dropped it. He started screaming at me in English. At night, Mr. Joyner came over and took, took the hood off of me. I slept after that for an hour, then woke up at the head count time. I couldn't go to sleep after that because I was scared. So something more than I would ever want to be subject to endure. I mean, yeah, just I mean, that, that constant fear, I mean, is... Well, no sense of time. I mean, that's got to feel like a lifetime of a nightmare. It's just crazy. Yeah, and because you, you don't know when you're going to get released, you don't expect it to ever stop. It's probably never going to that, stop. If you're getting that kind of treatment, you start to believe that you're never going to get out of there. Exactly. Just, you think it's going to last forever, and that's why, I mean, like we said earlier, that's why these people were like, just fucking kill me, you know, get it over with. Because death sounds a lot better than what this dude just went through. It's fucked. It's fucked. Yeah, very, very fucked. So by the end of everything, the U.S. Department of Defense removed 17 soldiers and officers from duty, and 11 soldiers were charged charged with dereliction of duty, maltreatment, aggravated assault, and battery. Between May 2004 and March 2006, these soldiers were court-martialed, sentenced to military prison, and dishonorably discharged from the military. Two soldiers, Specialist Charles Gain, Gain, fuck this guy. Specialist Charles Garner and PFC Lindy England were sentenced to ten and three years in prison. Brigadier General Janice Kaprinsky, who was the commanding officer of all detention facilities in Iraq, was reprimanded and demoted to colonel. So this dude got fucking demoted one rank from brigadier general to colonel. That was his punishment. Right. I wonder if it was a demotion followed by uh, forced retirement. It didn't say. It all it said was he was demoted to colonel, which, I mean, that's not a lot, but you got to also think, like, everybody knows what you did. Like, you have to live with that forever now. I think they'll give you a special special job. <laughs> yeah, something probably away from everyone else. Yeah, yeah. It's... I doubt he's going to be in charge of anyone ever again. No. But, he probably uh, ended up having to retire because it's hard to make rank after something like that is on your record. Yeah, probably. He probably, re- if he didn't retire right then, he probably never got promoted again and he retired as a colonel. Yeah. Special Charles Garner only got 10 years and PFC Lindy England got three years, um, which I think is a pretty light sentence. Which means that everybody's already out of prison. Yeah, they are. 
But hopefully they learn their lesson, but people like this probably, you know, they don't. But that about that wraps it up for Robert Grabe. I mean, I didn't want to make this a super long episode because I didn't want to... I don't um, think we should have made it an episode. <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> it's very fucked up. You're not wrong there. Jesus. But yeah, so you can follow the podcast on Twitter at MJC Podcast. You can follow me at How the Dogs Chill on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow Johnny on Instagram at Johnny2Jokes. We took that uh, joke and made it into his Instagram name. We took it too far is where we took it. It's it's. Did we? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. leave us a review on uh, iTunes if you guys like the episode. You can also listen on Blog Talk Radio slash The Mason Jar Chronicles. But I guess if you're listening right now, you already fucking know that you can listen on there, huh? That was pretty stupid <laughs> to say. Yeah, you guys already know that. So, um, right. yeah, that's about it, man. So uh, we'll catch you guys next week. I got an idea of what I want to do. Uh, the next subject on so stay tuned for that and we'll catch you guys later see ya see ya